0: We're the ones that had something to learn. And so personally, I just feel like we need to do a better job, all parties of having open conversations and knowing that like, you know, we are not Silicon Valley, (laughs) we are not New York. Nobody thinks we are even internally. So all we should be really talking about is how do we get there? How do we improve? And having that conversation from all parties is the only way we get there.
1: Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we're exploring what people are building in Cleveland and coming to you live from Ohio City. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today had the pleasure of speaking with Matt Shapiro, whose love and enthusiasm for Cleveland and people building things here is infectious (laughs) in the best possible way. Matt is a co-founder and chief marketing officer of Medpilot, a Cleveland-based startup which navigates patients through their healthcare experience. And to date, they have helped over 1 million patients and employ about 45 people here in Cleveland. Matt sits on the advisory board for Blue Star Families, the nation's largest chapter-based military organization, and the Catamount Innovation Fund. Prior to Medpilot, Matt led the New York media team at Bully Pulpit Interactive, which is a political strategy firm created by the digital marketers of Barack Obama's 2008 and 2012 campaigns. He's a political strategist and advisor for Dr. Tom Lee, who is the founder of One Medical, Hippocrates, and Galileo. And more recently, Matt is a technology policy advisor for Justin Bibb, who is running for mayor here in Cleveland. Somehow, (laughs) amongst the variety of activities Matt is involved with, he found some time to sit down with me today. Matt is a, a true champion of Cleveland, and I hope you all enjoy our conversation. All right, so before we dive into talk about MedPilot and and all the work that you're doing there, I would love to start with kind of the the boomerang story that that you have. Also hailing from New York City myself, but the, you know, splitting your time between the two cities and, you know, working up to MedPilot and and kind of the founding story there. You know, just your your kind of background and and what brought you to be interested in entrepreneurship and, you know, how that how that ties into Cleveland where you grew up and going to New York and and coming back?
0: Well, thanks for having me. I I think uh, anyone who has ever met me, even in a fleeting moment at a bar, knows that I am a very proud Cleveland boy, specifically Shaker Heights, rep rep, and I owe everything to Cleveland and Shaker. You know, even when I spent about 10 years fully in New York City, uh, away from Cleveland, I still never stopped talking about it, repping it, and Coming back to Cleveland uh, with MedPilot has been one of the most fulfilling uh, experiences of my life to date. I think, uh, you know, I was one of those people who definitely always wanted to be an entrepreneur, whether it was through the lemonade stands or selling yearbooks or study guides, or whatever. I, I love the sales aspect, I love the strategy involved in it, and I love the thrill of it. It's exciting, it's a roller coaster. There are just as many, if not more, downs as there are ups. So you just have to love the the ride of it, and you're gonna take a lot of lot of punches, and just enjoy it, and learn from it quickly, and make the most of it. And so I think that was definitely instilled in me very, very young in Cleveland. I learned early on that having a real skill set is needed when you build a company, and whether that's product or sales, strategy, marketing, you know, basic skills are needed to build a company everybody kind of wants to do that networking and talking and that's my favorite part of it too but (laughs) uh you got to bring something to the table and so for me i thought the skill set that i most wanted to learn was marketing and advertising uh it was slightly shaped uh from my love of mad men and don draper and i thought it was cool and interesting and fit my skill set and i liked bourbon and so Post college, I went to New York City and, and gave Madison Avenue a, a shot. That experience was extremely formative for me. I definitely had to grow up very quickly and learn that it is not at all about drinking whiskey and having brainstorm sessions. It's, it's, uh, you know, marketing has turned into a very technical field. It's very data driven. There's less kind of wishy washy creative stuff and very more tangible data driven approaches that are analyzed. And so that experience was not just formative uh, to me, but also kind of let me hone in a little bit on what I was good at and what I wasn't. From there, I I actually, uh, staying in New York, but kind of putting one foot in DC, got involved in politics. And politics has always been my biggest passion. That is an area I've stayed involved in throughout MedPilot and post MedPilot and future experiences will always get more involved in because I think politics, unfortunately, uh, you know, really is integral in a city. And and so for me, uh, I took my marketing skills, I brought it to politics, I split my time in DC and New York for a while, I, I ran the New York media team for the largest political marketing firm in the country. And it was there that we kind of started MedPilot. Honestly, many pivots later, uh, we, <laughs> we, we definitely uh, came a long way from our original idea. So I, I won't bore you with uh, how did how did we come up with MedPilot because there was a, a lot of iterations. but Really, when we latched on the one that actually started to work, which was a CRM platform, a customer relationship management platform for healthcare providers, we started to take off. And, and that was when we went from a couple employees to really needing to see if we could scale this thing. We had some success. We had a pilot. We had a couple investors that took a shot on us. And it was there that we decided that if we were going to really grow this company, New York City was not our place to be. We're first-time entrepreneurs. My co-founders, Jacob Myers, Nate Spoden. We have a lot of skill sets, but you know, people were not throwing cash at us as first-time entrepreneurs with very little track record, and so we had to be very smart and efficient with the money we had. And we sat down and and when we thought through the different characteristics of a city that we needed, Cleveland checked all of our boxes. Uh, It was specifically nice for me and Nate, who are from (laughs) Cleveland originally. Uh, Jake. From San Diego is a little bit harder to convince him, but the network that we had had in Cleveland, the cost of living that we had in Cleveland, the healthcare talent that we have in Cleveland made it a really, really nice decision. And, and that boomerang brought us back really nicely. And you know, we're we're so fortunate for everything Cleveland's given us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting story for sure. When you came back to to Cleveland, just like to paint a picture of this, you know, current state and and state back then. How big is MedPilot? What are, where are you guys working? A little bit about the the trajectory from there.
0: Yeah, we we went from four or five employees in a very small WeWork in Soho, New York, to in the first year of being in Cleveland, we got up to over twenty employees. We, uh, we we changed offices, I believe, three times in in two years. We started off in more of the Ohio City area, and then we grew in uh, on South Marginal Road, fifty uh, five hundred. And we actually then took over the the second floor as we continually grew. And now we're over 40 employees strong. But Cleveland is like really, you know, sole reason we were able to do this, not just because of the cost of living, unbelievable access to talent. We are, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, one of the best healthcare cities in the country and in the world. And we really benefited from piggybacking off this network and having no shortage of people looking to join our team and help us grow. and. And plug the gaps that we needed.
1: Was that one of the deciding factors when you were doing that kind of analysis of different cities, or was that just kind of a pleasant benefit of <laughs>
0: huge, huge factor? Yeah, we we I would say employees, customers, and cost of living; those were the main ones. There were a couple bonuses. Being able to stretch a dollar is extremely important as an entrepreneur. But that doesn't really matter if you don't have the customers and the employees to grow your company. You know that, That's more of a like nice to have, but not need to have for us. We needed to be able to have the right people to grow this company. And, and Cleveland was the city for us.
1: For sure. So you mentioned it's kind of a you know, CRM for helping navigate patients through their kind of financial experience, taking kind of a higher level stab at that. Can you just speak a bit more to the kind of mission and vision for for MedPilot going forward? You know, having gone through some iterations in the early days, what, what is it that you guys are, are really trying to, to solve right now?
0: Yeah, the, the good thing is the, the high level mission actually is the only thing that hasn't changed. How we attacked it uh, definitely did, but you know, our goal was that patients have an unbelievably difficult time getting through the financial experience of healthcare, whether they're even able to receive statements because you know information's always wrong and data is always wrong, to the fact that nobody including my father who's a doctor can understand what a statement says um, to the you know the cost side. I mean there's just so many issues with that and you know we really are big change of being able to solve that issue that is plaguing unfortunately tens of millions of patients with not being able to afford medical bills or, or understand them we learned that there's actually another side of the coin and that's the healthcare provider that's really, really losing in this equation as well. Uh, if you don't understand your bill or you can't afford your bill and you're not paying it, that's not particularly helping the healthcare provider either. And so really our CRM platform is designed to find that middle ground between the two parties and find a way. And if it's you don't understand your bill, you know that's why we built an engine that's designed to more personalize the communication, the communication and content um, kind of how I can speak English well uh, in a way that people are able to grasp these complicated situations. And and from an affordability standpoint, if you can't afford to pay a $50,000 bill, you're probably not alone. Is there a payment plan or a discount that they're willing to offer? Absolutely, because you know nobody wins if you go bankrupt. And so finding those middle grounds is key for us. Uh, we've expanded because we know it's not just medical bills that, that are an issue. We've brought in our communication to clinical and to administrative stuff like appointment reminders, really all with that core goal of more efficiently and effectively communicating with patients.
1: Got it. And not to bring up the purple elephant in the room, but you know, COVID has obviously had a, a big impact over the last year, specifically in the healthcare space. How have you seen the impact of, of COVID over the last year and from a, you know, a prioritization from a hospital standpoint, is this something that's still on their radar or what are the kind of tailwinds or, or headwinds that you're, you're experiencing as a, as a consequence of it?
0: You know, there, there have definitely been a lot of those, both positive and negative. I think the most obvious negative ones I'll start with are more from a startup, you know, founder's perspective, very difficult investment climate. And so, you know, the grow at all costs mantra definitely changes in this environment when, you know, it's not just you that's hurting, you know, your investors might be taking a hit as well. And so, you know, our approach to everything really had to tighten up knowing that, you know, this could last three, six, nine months and probably longer. And so I think those were the biggest negatives for us. I think also, you know, the sales cycle got a little bit longer in an already very long uh, space because people are hesitant to make changes. And, you know, that includes vendors and and partners when they're really just trying to like keep the roof above their head and and keep, you know, seeing patients as much as they can. So those are the major negatives. I think the positive is our space of communication became front and center. And this is why we really push forward, not just with financial engagement, but you know, broader engagement with patients to ensure that people are connected and that healthcare is not, you know, suddenly in a backseat just because you're afraid to go in to see your doctor. You know, we really actually got a lot of really nice tailwind of being able to expand and accelerate with our current customers way quicker than we ever would have imagined. So definitely a lot of positives and negatives. But I think for us, really, the negatives fell more on the on the business side, uh, less of the mission and how we were approaching our market side.
1: And to your point, you just, you know, let the, the highs get too high and the lows too low. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly, and we're we're all struggling with it. I think that was helpful. Everyone, you know, this is this is a tough time for them, and so we're we're in this together. We're it's going to take all of us working together, and that includes investors, entrepreneurs, clients, and just general people involved. You know, we all need to work together um, and know that we're all hurting. And if we can help as much as you can, try to help you know help people around you.
1: Yeah. So you guys are about you mentioned you said 40 employees right now based mostly in Cleveland
0: almost exclusively in Cleveland yeah
1: and from the the funding standpoint you know you mentioned one of again the the main reasons or the primary factors in in considering a move back to Cleveland was your your first go as a founder and you know trying to build and, and attract the the capital that you needed to to get this off the ground could you speak a little bit more to the process of of fundraising and kind of your experience in the past with it, but also as you guys look, look towards the future, you know, how, how you're thinking about that strategy.
0: Fundraising is, is not the most fun part, <laughs> being an entrepreneur, <laughs> but it is what keeps you going. And when you're a first-time entrepreneur, you have got to make sure there is no stone left unturned. So, you know, when we were getting this off the ground, really leaned heavily on close friends and family. Just to get enough traction that we could convince people that didn't know who we were that we had something there, because we are very, very far past the old days when maybe a cool PowerPoint slide or deck could could raise you a Series A. So, you know, for us, we caught our biggest break when I was actually at a bar mitzvah. I met a gentleman uh, who was, you know, conveniently overheard my dad and I talking about startups and caught me uh, on the on the side of the bar mitzvah and wanted to chat with me and. Turned out he was a former venture capitalist and hedge fund executive. And he wrote our first, you know, huge check and is still actually our biggest investor. And, you know, that was really fortunate. I mean, I was lucky. I think my advice to founders is you have to put yourself in those positions to get lucky. And anyone that knows me knows I never shut up about MedPilot. So the odds of someone overhearing me talk about it and being potentially (laughs) interested in investing are, are, you know, better than if I, if I were quiet about it. So. I think that uh, you know the spray and praise is necessary. You you take money from whoever you can, at whatever terms you can when you're first starting. It's it's not fun and it's not the most uh, effective strategy, but you have to do what you have to do to survive at the beginning. I think as your company grows, you get an ability to hopefully be a little bit more selective. And you know, for us, when we were in New York City, it was very spray and pray. But when we uh, came to actually L.A. for a Techstars program. We were there for three months. Uh, it was part of the Cedar Sinai Techstars Accelerator. That was the first time we really had an experience where we met a bunch of VCs and investors. And it was a little bit more formal than you know, hopefully meeting someone on a dance floor with bar mitzvah. So that was our first real experience. And then coming to Cleveland, it was a very different chapter. You know, I think it's interesting for us because we now have kind of three different phases of investors, New York City, West Coast, and Cleveland. Yeah, we've noticed there's very big differences between all those different types of investors, and at this point, we've been pleasantly surprised by how much investment uh, appetite Cleveland has. We surely, as you can tell from when you asked me why we came to Cleveland, that investment money was not <laughs> on our list of reasons. But we ended up picking up, uh, you know, about ten to twenty percent of capital, our capital raised from Cleveland. It was not easy capital raise. And, you know, I definitely think we benefited from the fact that we had investment from, you know, more established outside of Cleveland investors that helped give us a little bit of credibility and set our valuation a little bit higher than uh, some people in Cleveland get, unfortunately. So I think uh, all of that definitely helped in in our our approach. But I think for us, again, we're still first-time entrepreneurs and we're still, you know, very fortunate and, and happy to take a conversation with whoever wants to talk to us.
1: Yeah, the serendipitous overhearing, it's tough to come by on Zoom calls these days. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, not not as fun, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. I, I'd actually love if you could expand upon kind of the differences in in approach or strategy that, that you've taken from, you know, with the West Coast stereotypically VC people, the New York VC people and, and the people here here in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of commonalities on the coasts. I think the difference is you know they're both I get for the commonalities they're very big thinkers they want to take big swings and they are not as afraid to get burned they understand what they're doing you know they're a lot more angel investors that are trying to not just make a lot of money but really change the game and build relationships with entrepreneurs and that's the most important attribute as an angel investor is betting on an entrepreneur is the only way to be successful because the odds that their company is going to succeed are always low. But if you really think you found someone special, it might not be this company, but it, it's going to be the next one or it's going to be the next one. So that's, that's an approach that you see very predominantly across the coasts with people that are, you know, also have access to more capital, but are more of a mindset. The only real differences I noticed are we talked to a lot more or, or many more private equity hedge fund type people in New York than you know, the Bay. But, you know, there's there's that really was more of a due diligence thing. We, we had to really tighten up our pro formas for the for the finance bros <laughs> versus the venture capitalists that cared a little bit more about long term strategy. When we got to Cleveland, it was uh, very different. You know, we didn't really know where to go. So, you know, we really just kind of Googled and the normal suspects kind of popped up and we asked around. And I think the hard part in Cleveland, the angel community is very difficult. Uh, it's very, very small. And in terms of actual, more traditional funds, there aren't as many. And you know, I think our conversations were very difficult, mostly because the people we were talking to, they just didn't seem as well versed in our space, in our area. And so I think that was a little bit of a trouble, but it's also, you know, I think it, it, it's different. You know, When I, for instance, walked into a venture meeting in LA, you meet with maybe the general partner and an analyst. When I walked into a VC meeting in Cleveland, our first VC meeting, I'll never forget with a local shop, literally, uh, I think there were 15 or 20 people in the room. And I just remember being like, there are no startups like in this city. Like what's going on? Like it was like literally felt like the entire fund was in the room. I just thought we were doing like a little like touch base. And you know, it was it was weird. It was definitely interesting. And I think that uh, it's just a very different mentality. We saw through the due diligence process. And you know, it, it's unfortunate. I, I think a lot of the things people hear about the Cleveland investment community are extremely true. I think the difference is that people don't talk about enough, but I was really pleasantly surprised are there are people trying to do big things. And even if they don't come from the normal shops you hear about, they're out there. And so personally, you know, I want to call out an individual that's been instrumental to our company, John Penny. Like there's people like John Penny. There's people like Chantel Moody. There's people out there that genuinely want to help companies. And they actually fit the the coast kind of mentality of angel investors, building relationships with entrepreneurs, knowing they're taking a risk and doing everything in the world they can to help you learn and grow and, and connect you to people. And so I feel like there's a lot of bashing of Cleveland investment funds. There's mixed feelings for everybody, but it's not all bad. And I think we have to make sure we still focus on the positives out there, and that's the people that are really doing great things. And knowing that you know there's a lot of employees at venture funds, but they bounce around to different places. So just labeling different places, good or bad, doesn't really make sense because those people might not even be there in a couple of years that you had a bad coffee with. So I think it's all about the people. And I think that's you know going to be the differences if Cleveland ever gets to that East Coast or West Coast mentality is going to be if we can really invest in building this community. Yeah, I think
1: that makes a lot of sense. Do you feel that there is a pressure in the way that we've seen for companies like Cover My Meds or Scout RFP companies that have been that have you know a strong presence and and foundation in Cleveland, but are ultimately pulled away uh, largely due for you know funding and investing reasons. I guess how how are you thinking about that and 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 trying to navigate that going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, as as a founder of a company, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do for my company. I love Cleveland. I will always love Cleveland. My family is from Cleveland. I will always have roots in Cleveland. But that does not mean that I will be in Cleveland just cuz I love Cleveland, <laughs> you know. And so I think that at the end of the day, like Cleveland needs to know and remember that all entrepreneurs have really a duty to their company first, not their city. And so, you know, they should not take people for granted. And I think, you know, one of the stories that was the most painful for me to see, because he's always been a role model to me, because uh, he's a couple of years above me from Shaker is Brian Vern. Brian started a company in Cleveland, had a lot of difficulty with some of the usual suspects in Cleveland, and ultimately left in a pretty public fashion, you know, similar to Ed, you know, starring Clee, you know, was pretty vocal about some of the things that he thought, you know, was missing in Cleveland and could be improved. And, you know, he got a lot of flack personally, you know, as an entrepreneur, like I just, there aren't a lot of people I want to talk badly about because we all make mistakes. We're all going to fail at times. And I think the only thing that's bad is if we don't have conversations and like open conversations and this all like kind of talking about people's backs and murmuring. I don't think it's helpful. I think we have to have a conversation with everyone. And when Brian Verne, for instance, leaves Cleveland writes an op-ed, pretty much says, my line's open. I want to talk. I want to help Cleveland and kind of gets talked badly by a lot of people. It doesn't take too much Googling to figure out. He's since then raised like tens of millions of dollars, is super, super successful in the Bay. And personally, as a younger entrepreneur, like I I really wish we had him back. And I wish people had listened to what he was saying because it's very clear that he knew what he was talking about. and you know, we're the ones suffering, not him, you know, like we're the ones that had something to learn. And so personally, I just feel like we need to do a better job, all parties of having open conversations and knowing that like, you know, we are not Silicon Valley. (laughs) We are not New York. Nobody thinks we are even internally. So all we should be really talking about is how do we get there? How do we improve? And having that conversation from all parties is the only way we get there.
1: Yeah. To kind of run with, that line of thinking, um, and it maybe it ties back into, you know, your interest and endeavors with, with politics, kind of talking more about the systemic problems and, you know, things that we can do here in Cleveland to, to kind of foster that, those lines of communication. But I guess from the political side, and you know, we don't have to get into politics, politics, but like, <laughs> what, what are you doing these days on,
0: on that front? I've stayed super involved in politics, just due to it being a huge passion of mine, on a national level, I have been very involved with trying to help uh, elect uh, now president, elect Joe Biden. And you know, I, I held fundraisers and I, I got really involved in the grassroots side. It was extremely exciting to see that come to fruition. I, I did it under the guise of working as a political strategist and advisor. To Dr. Tom Lee, who uh, has been a huge role model and idol of mine in the healthcare community. Tom has founded massive companies like Hippocrates and Wad Medical and getting to work with him on the politics side has been really, really incredible experience for me. Locally, I've done two things. I am a co-chair of the public policy uh, committee for Ohio X, which is Ohio's tech and innovation partnership. Really, really excited. This group just started last year and already has dozens of massive and small startups involved in it. And really, their goal is just to create a better partnership between uh, the state of Ohio and uh, their you know, startup community. My other role locally uh, is working with Justin Bibb, who is running uh, for mayor in Cleveland. And Justin embodies all the qualities you really want in leadership, He's extremely hardworking. He's got big ideas, but most importantly, he he doesn't want to do it alone and he's bringing in a lot of incredible people into the tent. And uh, I'm excited to be serving as a tech policy advisor for Justin. and you know government for uh, better or worse is is always going to be an essential and big role uh, in our business community. And so I'm very, very excited to see people like Justin and Ohio X uh, starting up with new Fresh faces. Trying to make a difference for all the right reasons. You,
1: you mentioned that in your mind, the you know government is for better or worse an essential part of the success of any given city. And I'm curious, from your perspective as an entrepreneur, and really you know trying to take big swings and and change the game, where is the right place for government, and where is the right place for entrepreneurship in terms of like catalyst for for change?
0: Yeah, it, you know it's it's a funny question because you know we're not, we're not supposed to talk about politics, but I've already said that I I, <laughs> I fundraise for Joe Biden, so most people can assume where I fall. I am Democratic for the most part across a number of issues, both uh, economically as well as socially. So I, I have a background in thinking government is extremely helpful in a lot of areas. One area that I could not think that government should stay farther away from personally is in startup investing. I think that that makes no sense. I don't know any really good examples of that working. And you know, I, I've never seen or heard anyone from Silicon Valley say like, I'm, thank you. you, know I'm so glad that Sequoia is backed by you know our government. I'm so, like it just there are no famous venture funds that are government backed. And I just don't think that that makes any sense. So I think that where government needs to play a major role, is really, you know, investing in our communities. Like we need to be investing in education. We need people to have a better understanding of STEM and the, and the courses that allow you to start a company, and be successful in a company. That's absolutely imperative. And that that investing from a government is something that, as a private individual, I can't be very helpful. You're pretty much otherwise banking on, you know, some multi-billionaire just to feel really good about Cleveland and want to. Dump money into like stuff like education, which is not the most cost effective. So that's where government government needs to be investing in our communities. In terms of investing in companies, it needs to be individuals who actually have an ability to be risk takers and understand that failure is okay. And you know, I understand why it doesn't work uh, with the government, but you know, we've tried it. I don't know a lot of people who uh, aren't on payroll <laughs> that think it's working. And that's coming from someone that came to this city very outside, talked to a lot of people, both inside and outside the tent. And that seems like a pretty general consensus from a lot of people. So personally, I'm hoping that as a community, we can really just expand and reform just by changing a little bit of how we uh, approach this process and, and start focusing on what actually does work with governments and a little bit less on what hasn't worked for us in the past.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. When you think about the future of MedPilot, what what in your mind is kind of the, the best case scenario?
0: Best case for us, you know, twofold. I think personally speaking, you know, MedPilot was not just my like get rich plan. I am a first time entrepreneur that really, really will always be building companies and want to learn all facets of how to build a successful company. And so for me personally, I knew the areas I would be strong in. Um, I come from marketing. I come from PR. I wasn't concerned <laughs> with being able to get us in the news. But the areas that I really didn't know enough about and I wanted to learn more about is how to really build a company and a culture and a community because that's really why I like building companies. Having employees that are actually able to make a difference in their communities and hopefully make tons of money by working at MedPilot and make tons of difference, that's what actually I care about. And and before starting a company, I, I didn't really know what that meant. And, you know, you can Google like, oh, HR policies to build a good culture. But, you know, you don't really learn these things till you do it. And so th- those are my more personal goals from, from a company standpoint. You know, our goal is to transform the nature of how patients and doctors communicate. It is unbelievably outdated and behind every other industry. And so personally, you know, if we can just push that industry a little bit further into the direction of the 21st century, I will be very, very, very happy. And, you know, from a financial standpoint, I obviously hope my investors and my shareholders and everyone benefits. But I think everyone at MedPilot is really driven by the fact that, you know, this is a space that needs our help on both the patient and the healthcare provider side. And I'm hoping we can make a little bit of a difference.
1: Yeah, I hope you guys can too. If I've learned anything from working in in the healthcare industry the last year and and change, it's there's a lot of room for improvement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> why do you, why do you think uh you know you're in the space as well? What do you think are the major reasons for why we're so far behind, I guess?
1: I think I see actually a lot of parallels to the work I was doing prior in government where you have just kind of the the ways that things have been done and that's kind of the justification for the way things will continue to be done. And so from my perspective, uh what we're working on at actual with credentialing, you know it's a it's a a process a part of the the way that these health systems work that it hasn't really been touched in seventy years and so when you have i think processes that haven't been touched in decades, you just build up the potential energy for for innovation um, and it just requires people to kind of poke at it and, and see like <laughs> where's where's their opportunity to actually kind of make things a little bit better and have a justification for doing things that isn't, this is just the way we've always done it. And I think the larger the the organizations, the the more you might see of the, that kind of justification.
0: Very, very well said.
1: I've, I've fortunately had a lot of time to think about why, why the healthcare industry and the government <laughs> is a little, is a little slow, but that seems to be the intersection here. I think there, there is a, a lot of room for improvement and it's, it's very exciting to hear both on, on the med pilot front and and the, the political front, the the work that you're doing.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I I think at the end of the day, the people that get involved in healthcare like yourself, uh, you you have to really enjoy the difficult nature of it. I remember for my first gig in advertising, I was very unhappy when I got placed in the healthcare department of Madison Avenue instead of the fun, sexy fashion or uh, mm-hmm. bigger, you know, American Ec- Express accounts. And my boss told me like, ah, oh, anyone can do that. If you can figure out how to do healthcare, you can do anything. It's way more interesting. And I'll be honest, I didn't really believe him at the time. And I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's a good marketer right there. He really spun that one, but I do feel that way. It's exciting. It's fun and you're making a difference. And there are days when I'm jealous of my fellow entrepreneurs who have slightly sexier. Uh, companies and and uh, markets that they're in, but uh, you know we're making a difference, and, and we see that every day. At, like my proudest statistic at MedPilot is ninety seven percent patient satisfaction score with the over a million patients we've worked with, and knowing you know the bar is really low um, <laughs> that, that the current market has set for us, but uh, if we can increase it a little bit, it, it makes it worth it.
1: Absolutely, no, that's that's amazing. So we have definitely covered a lot of ground here. I feel like I could ask you a lot more questions about Cleveland and, and your perspective on entrepreneurship, but in the interest of time, unless you really just want to unsolicited divulge
0: any more <laughs> opinions here. Um, I'd but have the to way change to... my home address, you know? But, uh...
1: <laughs> but the way we typically wrap these up is with uh, an exploration of uh, what your, your kind of favorite hidden gem about Cleveland is. Not necessarily your favorite thing, but something that other people may not know about.
0: You know I think when you talk to people you're you're gonna get the people as is probably number one reason uh, why they love Cleveland and and I agree uh, not a hidden gem. I think <laughs> anyone who spent a lot of time in New York City or other places realize that uh, as much as we kind of uh, complain and moan and various things, not just our startup community but also our sports teams, there's a very endearing uh, nature to to Cleveland people, but but Ohio in general and in the Midwest. And so that will always be my favorite thing, but that is far from a hidden gem and as well as our sports teams, which are finally shining a little bit of light uh, for us. No offense to you coming from New York. I think in general, uh, I am absolutely just blown away by our food scene. And I think that I came from New York and I was like Fashion myself a foodie. I thought I knew where all the best places were, mostly because I have a really, really nice big sister who lived in New York and took me everywhere <laughs> and even made me a, a spreadsheet with my uh, go-to favorite spots and and progressive date ideas and everything. But when I came to Cleveland, I was just absolutely blown away. There are so many cool restaurateurs that have one or two shops. And, there, you know, there are massive groups. I love the ones that are. You know, i personally really biased towards the uh, Zach Brule restaurant group because uh, I'm best buddies with Julian Brule and I love, I love the big and the small, but uh, I think it's, it's kind of endearing how many one-off small businesses we have in Cleveland of people that are bringing their different nationalities and ethnicities through food. And, you know, there's Ethiopian, there is so much good Asian. And I think that uh, it gets some press, it doesn't get enough. I have to call out Korea house cause that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that uh, it's really, really endearing. And I think it says a lot about uh, not just why our food's good, but also what, what makes our our, our state so incredible is just, uh, we're very inclusive. It's also really tasty when you get to experience it through food.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll second kind from New York, the the diversity and depth of, of the food here in Cleveland. It's fantastic. Now that I'm very hungry, um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if if people have anything that they would want to follow up with you about, what is the best way for for them to do so?
0: So, you know, my favorite part about being an entrepreneur is meeting people and networking. And I believe in a spray and pray ap- approach because I've met not just lead investors and, and business partners, but uh, also really good friends uh, through the community. So I definitely want to emphasize, please, please, please reach out whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or someone who just wants to chat and commiserate about uh, what it's like to to ride uh, this crazy uh, roller coaster. You know, my email is matt at medpilot.com. My LinkedIn is my very long last name, Matt uh, Peter Shapiro. Definitely reach out. I would love to talk. You know, I think the biggest way that we will change this city is through building a more cohesive network and that's going to be done by all of us working together big and small you know big companies small companies investors politicians everyone needs to actually cohesively work together if we don't we're all going to be fighting in our rival ways and we're not going anywhere so we're we're too small of a city and we have too few resources not to to, to really pitch in so please reach out don't be shy it doesn't need to be positive you could also have hated something i said and i i'd love to talk about it so you know, Jeffrey, thank you so much. I think, you know, podcasts like yours are so important as well. Just, you know, we we need to expand on uh, Cleveland more from a media perspective, too, and get our voices out there. And that'll ultimately help uh, attract the talent we need, the companies we need. And and hopefully, uh, you know, all ships will rise.
1: That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at Lay of the land, at the Taken, or at Stern Hefe, J E F E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Taken Horden and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates, or actual and its affiliates, or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.